people who are really good at making things happen always make it seem like their success is grassroots. But in reality, they also have people underneath the surface pulling the strings and they know how to make that happen. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their business after a long career as an employed professional. We believe you should be able to do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with the head hype artist at Microframe Media, Michael F. Schein. In today's episode, you will learn one of the success secrets used by the world's greatest self-promoters. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about your business building progress? Would you like to be part of a structured, supportive process to help you implement ideas that you know will help you move the needle toward your goals? As a member of the Smash in the Plateau community, you'll have access to a structured process for growth. You'll also be a member of a community that's built to be a safe, caring place where inclusive, direct, active, and empowering conversations are welcome. Inside the Smash in the Plateau community, you find a range of tools and resources to support you as an entrepreneur, access to experts, and answers to your burning questions. If you are committed to getting your consulting, coaching, or small business to grow on your own terms so that you can deliver great results to your ideal clients while supporting the lifestyle you want and you don't want to do it alone, apply to become a member of the Smash in the Plateau community. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Michael F. Schein. Michael is the head hype artist at Microframe Media, a company that specializes in making idea-based businesses famous in their fields. Some of his clients have included eBay, Magento, the Medici Group, University of Pennsylvania, Gordon College, University of California, Irvine, United Methodist Publishing House, Rico, LinkedIn, and Citrix. His writing has appeared in Fortune, Forbes, Inc., Psychology Today, and Huffington Post. And he is a speaker for international audiences spanning from the northeastern United States to the southeastern coast of China. His book, The Hype Handbook, 12 Indispensable Success Secrets from the World's Greatest Propagandists, Self-Promoters, Cult Leaders, Mischief Makers, and Boundary Breakers, published by McGraw-Hill, appears where books are sold. Michael, welcome back to the show. Great to have you on again. Hey, David. It's great to be here, obviously. One of my favorite places to be. And then you were one of my favorite guests. So the last time you were on Smash in the Plateau, you had actually just published your book, The Hype Handbook. And we discussed reverse engineering as a way to make people take an action. In particular, you mentioned during our interview that you try out all of your hype concepts on yourself first. Now you have just launched what you refer to as a secret society, which is your second strategy in your book. What kinds of results have you seen? Well, first of all, the book release, which I can't believe it was two years ago now, has really transformed everything for me. You know, um, the Secret Society is is one of the strategies, and that's the newest sort of horizon. Um, I may base a new book on it, it looks like, and I'm trying it out on myself. But um, 
to provide a little bit of context, I always used what I call hype, right? So I, for anyone who doesn't know the first interview or my work, I guess you would call me a professional marketer, but I've never thought of myself that way because I look at people who are really good at driving a whole lot of attention and excitement around whatever it is they're trying to put out into the world who don't think of themselves as marketers. So you'll look at a rock band manager or a rap manager or in some negative you know, areas, a cult leader or a propaganda artist. And those people understand mass psychology better than any professional marketer that I've ever seen. Some of them put it to negative ends. I've always gone out of my way to repurpose these things ethically. But because no one knew about my my idea, uh, you know, about this concept of what I call hype, I used to have to call myself a marketer. So I had a marketing agency. We were just talking before the call started, you know, doing all of the just sort of social media and nitty gritty stuff just because that's what people expect from an agency, having to explain to people why you have an unorthodox point of view. And it was a living and a, and a good living, but it was always a little bit like pulling teeth. And with the book, people now know me as the hype guy, right? So apparently in the tech startup world, for example, there's a lot of talk about how do we hype our products up? And now I'm the guy who wrote the book on it. So now I can really proudly go out into the world and say, I can sell you hype, right? Instead of I can sell you marketing. And as a result, um, everything's changed. I mean, we're we're 100% focused on turning companies into ethical hype machines and generating everything that comes with that, whether it's sales or attention. And, and it all comes from the book, really. So that's the first thing. And then in terms of the secret society, so now that I've sort of gotten those wheels moving and have turned that into a bit of a machine, it's time for the next bold horizon and the next book. And I always poke around for ideas. for So so the, the uh, chapter in the book that I was always, that I really always have gotten a lot out of in my own career is one what I call um, build a secret society, create a secret society. And the idea is that people who are really good at making things happen always make it seem like their success is grassroots. But in reality, they also have people underneath the surface pulling the strings and they know how to make that happen. But when I wrote about that, I sort of used the term secret society as a tongue-in-cheek way. I thought that'd be more fun than calling it like hyper-networking. But then I got interested. I was like, what about real secret societies? These groups that you always hear about, the Illuminati and the Freemasons and Skull and Bones, why do people create these secret societies? There must be something in it for them. And and you always hear these stories about people creating these secret societies to control the world and do these sinister things. So I started researching it. And what I found was really interesting. These secret societies, when you do get access into the inner sanctum, which people have done, right, and have reported on it. The point of the secrecy is the secrecy. Nothing very special is going on in there. They're not really protecting anything that interesting. So they have all kinds of rituals and costumes and handshakes and all of this stuff. But ultimately, you'll come to the end and and they'll do a little speech about goodwill toward mankind, So the reason that people create these secret societies is because all of that ritual and all of that exclusivity and that you need to be invited in and that you have to go through all those levels make it really appealing. The the most accomplished and successful and interesting people want to be part of these things at different points in history. And if you just call it a networking circle or a mastermind group or, you know, the Sheet Metal Association of America, 
people will do it for their careers, but they won't do it. It's not fun. You know, they do it as a chore. Whereas at their peak, groups like the Freemasons and the Shriners, which which have kind of fallen out of date now, people spent the bulk of their free time doing that, especially men. And so I thought it would be interesting to sort of recreate that for the modern world. You know, the way that sort of Soho House recreated the Gentleman's Club of, of the 1800s for a modern audience. I thought it would be really interesting to create a modern version of a secret society instead of a plain old networking group or mastermind. So I created a group called the Ludic Circle, and I went to my mailing list, which has, you know, a lot of just people like you and me. But I noticed that once in a while, someone really prominent would join the list. And I reached out to them and um, kind of with all the magic and mystery that a secret society would hint toward, I invited them in. And um, the response was really big. So now we have this group uh, that I can't tell you who's on it, obviously, and what we do there. But I have this group of people who we do these really cool things, you know, once, you know, on a scheduled period of time, we we meet up and, and we help each other ultimately get big things done. Is there a secret to getting the secret society started? I think there are a couple of things. First of all, I think that it's really important to embrace your theatrical side, to not, ironically, to not take yourself too seriously. So we're all familiar with the Shriners, right? Do you know the Shriners? Well, have you ever heard of that group? In case somebody isn't familiar with it, why don't you describe them? So the Shriners were these, it was a group, a club. Uh, They're less popular than they once were, like all of these groups are for various reasons. And the reasons have more to do with, there was a group called Bowling Alone about how people are, um, a lot of the things that held society together for a long time have sort of frayed, but that's a different kind of issue. But the Shriners were a group that it was an offshoot of the Freemasons and it was called like the mystical Shriners of something or other, I don't know. And these business people, and and back then it was usually men, but businessmen, you know, this and that, they would wear these little like fez hats, right, that they, I guess, imagined was from Turkey. And um, they had these sort of crescent symbols and they drove around in these little cars. And um, you could easily think, why would these grown men, these professionals do this? Because A, it was fun. And B, it was a club. If you wore that little hat, if you drove that little car, you're really committing yourself to this group. This is an identity thing now. I'm a Shriner. You know, if I show up to a mastermind group or a networking group, that's something you can just drop out of when it doesn't help you anymore. If you were in a parade driving a little car, wearing a little fez, you know, that's your identity, right? So what's interesting about this is the Shriners do so much good this goofy group of guys, they they have raised probably billions of dollars at this point for hospitals, right? The Shriners hospitals are very famous and we often don't connect the two. And so I think the first thing is creating a sense of mystique, right? Whatever your modern version of the secret handshake, you know, the, the special codes, the special language, the special location, the special costumes, Don't ignore that stuff. And I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are like, oh, I'm never doing that in a million years. Well, that's your choice. Do a version of it that works for you. But that's the kind of thing that really does bond people together. So how do you pick what those things are? A good place to start is to think about what are the things 
that are cheap for you to give up and very, very valuable for other people. So I met a guy early in, in my career, at least in this career, you know, which is which is about a decade or so old, who literally started a business from his garage, right? I mean, people use that metaphorically. He started a, a, uh, a security like alarm type business from his garage and it grew to $500 million of revenue a year. So I interviewed this gentleman for Inc. Magazine because I happened to be writing there and he was perfectly cordial and nice, but you know, no real connection until he mentioned to me that he had just moved from Indianapolis to New York City. And one of the reasons was he absolutely loves live music and they don't have good live music in Indianapolis. And and he wanted to go see, you know, the club. So now at the time I was like in my early thirties and I was at the tail end of where I still was really interested in live music and I would go out still. And so I knew these places in New York. So I offered to take him around to these clubs, right? So it was the only thing I could have possibly given this guy. I mean, I could have said to him, how can I help you? Who can I introduce to you? All of these things that we always say in networking groups. And it would have been meaningless to him. But by keeping my ears and eyes open to something that was really easy for me to do and very, very valuable to him, it was really a big deal. And he became a massive mentor in my career and and whatever success I have, I think he had a lot to, to do with it. So what is it that you're doing in the group? Once you create all that theatricality, whatever form that takes, what happens once you're there? And if it's just, we're going to sit around a table and give favors and introductions and leads, well, there's other places you can go for that. Think about what are some things in your world that you can give access to? Is it a special location that only you have access to, right? Like some some after hours, you know, um, vault <laughs> from the Civil War that only you have access to because your family was involved, whatever. If you can make a list of those things that almost seem like no big deal to you, but that might be interesting to other people, before you know it, you've built a mystique. And these don't have to be expensive things. Yeah. One thing that comes to my mind as you're describing this, Mike, is the rise and in, in interest in communities. Particularly, I think there's been a, a leap forward in the last couple of years due to COVID of online communities. And, and now there are also lots of new tools that are available to support the infrastructure of these communities. I'm wondering what connection you might see between the, the, your concept of a secret society and what may be happening in these micro communities. I think civilizations or societies or whatever you want to call it go through ebbs and flows. Like I think history is really cyclical and you know, there's this really nice idea of progress that we're like Martin Luther King, who obviously was wonderful, had this comment that the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice with due respect to Dr. King. I'm not sure he was right. I don't think that, there is a story to history. I think that human beings make those stories in their minds because we're story-making animals. I think that history is very cyclical. 
And so I think for many, many years, especially after World War II, people were joiners, you know, people joined communities. You would talk to anybody and they were a member of three or four clubs, the Elks Clubs, the Rotary Club, the this, the that. They were in, I just read a short story. I was reading an old science fiction short story from the 50s and all the people he knew, he was in a chess club, he was in a book club, he was into this. And I think, honestly, with the baby boomers who who are very for all the talk of peace and love are very individualistic as a whole, you know, and, and about personal fulfillment, those joining groups dissolved, you know, it was more about what can I do to maximize my own, you know, meanness, my, my f- fulfillment, right? And that's not all bad. I mean, that people went on spiritual journeys, all kinds of things. But I think we're in a new cycle. I think they're going to be new societies and new technologies But, you know, this generation didn't grow up the way the baby boomers grew up. They didn't grow up the way Gen X grew up. They, you know, millennials and Gen Z. I also think that the last 10 years have been hard and they may get harder before they get better. I mean, we've had a massive pandemic. We've had wars. They didn't hit home, but they were wars nevertheless. We've had two financial collapses. And so I think that I think this is what's behind the great resignation. I don't think it's so much that people are not wanting to go back to work. I think they're looking at their lives before the pandemic that they were kind of sleepwalking through and looking what happened since and what they were able to do with technology and without technology and saying, I'm not so sure I want to go back to that, right? So so I think people are looking to join again. People are looking for solidarity, especially because of how lonely everyone was during that pandemic, right? I think now that we're able to meet again, some of it's going to happen online, some of it's going to happen offline. I think most of it's going to be a hybrid. But I expect to see, my prediction is we're going to see a new era of joining. And I think it's already starting. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think that has to be like, oh, the sheep are walking off the cliff. I think there's something to being part of a group with mutually shared values and interests. Right. Because and that's how people, as you said, people help one another through these groups. So yeah. go, going back to your group, um, what is it that you offer that's easy and valuable for you to offer that's that's good for the members of your secret society? You know, part of it, without getting too much into the detail, because that would defeat the purpose. Right. But part of it is that we tried to select people and continue to select people that are some combination of really imaginative, almost artistic, and in some cases, truly artistic, and also very commercially minded in terms of that they're builders, right? They're not, so it's not just all art for art's sake, and it's not all just like, let's trade leads and, and, you know, do business. But it's kind of those people who are out there really imagining things and making them happen. And we've really picked and chose people and we continue to that go together. Now, I think I may have mentioned on this show before, I've spent many years exploring interests that have nothing to do with my core business. So for for years, I was really interested in this movement um, and continue to be of something called immersive theater. And I, I never felt that it really hit its full potential. But there's this thing called Sleep No More. It's the site-specific theater. I'm really interested in immersive entertainment of various sorts. Obviously, I'm interested in storytelling. I still write fiction and theatricality. So there's elements of all that. We're really trying to create experiences for people so that you don't just show up around a table, as I've said a lot of time, and 
talk about what you need from a business perspective, that you come to the group and have a real experience. And that's not done in a way that, you know, costs $100,000 every time. In fact, all of the members chip in in various ways. But um, just like when you went to, you know, a Freemasons meeting, everyone was wearing an apron and doing different degrees and saying things in Latin. But ultimately, there was no agenda. It was a drinking club, but a drinking club that had a big networking component. You know, it cost money to get in. It was very selective. But people came for the experience. The floor was always a checkerboard. So I would say we're, we're trying or have created something a little bit like that, where, where the people involved and the experience when you get there is what it's all about. Now, there are things. I mean, there are, there are recommendations of, of books and media. There's, expo- there's connections to, you know, if you're trying to promote something, there's connections to other people that can help you promote it. You know, we're trying to pull strings for each other. In fact, we were thinking of calling it the uh, International uh, Backscratcher Society, but we, uh, we abandoned that idea. Does that answer your question? I'm kind of speaking around the subject because I don't want to, you know, I'm trying to, in the spirit of secret society. No, I, I get that. And I, yeah, it, it describes <laughs> it enough. How long ago okay. did you invite the first people in? Only about six months, you know? I mean, it really is something that we started cheap and dirty, which which we were able to do, right? Because like you said, there's there's the internet and we're really relying on the people in the group. So it's not about, you know, Mike Shine has to create a production every week. It's, hey, this is a group of people who have chosen to be together. Here are the guidelines and the rules. And as a result, we all help co-create it. So I, I guess that that's another point. If you want to create a secret society, if you like this strategy, what I would say is come up with the rules of the game. So in other words, you know, the frame is the most important part of the picture. Restrictions create creativity. So what do you want your group to be like? You know, and get imaginative. Do people have to, when they come to the door, do they have to not disclose their true identity? If so, why? Just for fun? Would that defeat the purpose? Is there a way to make that work? and still have it be productive. I don't know, you know, come up with almost a 10 commandments for what your group is, uh, you know, and you'll see this with with a lot of these, you know, a lot of old art movements like the surrealists or the Dada movement, they were almost like secret societies and they always had a manifesto and business uses manifesto a lot, but they were creating real manifestos. They would be like, art cannot, you know, be representative. Representation in art is obsolete. Well, you can do a lot with within that, but it also tells you what you are and what you're not. Right. And I think what you're not is probably just as important as what you are. Probably the most important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what kinds of results have you seen? I know it's fairly early on. Six months isn't a huge amount of time, but what's happened so far? You know, I was always a big quote unquote networker, which is why I wrote that chapter in the book. But I would see after sort of mastering the traditional networking thing, I realized the flaws with it very quickly. And this has been going on for years. So the basic idea between net, behind networking is that you should go around, and there's a lot of good in this, by the way. You should go around and be out as much as you can. So have as many coffees as you can, go to cocktail events, go to networking events, join masterminds, join BNI, right? And what you then should do is look for opportunities to make connections and make introductions. 
And if you do that enough, what people say, which I don't believe, is that the universe will return it to you. Well, that's obviously, unless you're, you know, Rhonda Byrne with the secret, that obviously isn't what happens. What happens is people feel a sense of reciprocity, and over time, they're going to want to help you out in return. There's a lot of value in all of that. The problem with it, however, is that everyone gets the game now, right? So, you know, you'll you'll often get people, and I don't know if you've experienced this, David, where someone will call you up on the phone for one of these networking things and almost like a script of like, how can I help you? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? And then the next day you'll get like five introductions and it's like a chore because you don't really want to meet these people, right? But it's like how the game is played. So then you give them three introductions. What we've done is tried to create an environment where help is given where help is needed, right? Like, so so Ryan Holiday, James Altucher, Tim Ferriss, these guys are friends, good, good friends. So when one of them has a book, the other, you know, people will promote the book, right? Because they have this club. So yeah, I mean, so far, people have opened their ears to what people have needed in a very real way. And I've helped them. I started a new line of business, which is very connected to my, my my core business, which we can talk about. And I think um, typically it would have taken years to get it off the ground. But I, I think largely because of, of my group, I got introductions, which led to business very, very quickly and things like that. I think a, another lesson here is that even if you just take from this the typical networking stuff, it's very important to surround yourself with the right level of people. And I don't mean that in a put down kind of way, but like when I was first using some of these strategies, I was naturally very good at it. So I was part of a group called Network Network that I think I met you through years ago. And it's a wonderful group. You know, it's kind of like BNI for business to business, but the people were all like I I was at the time, kind of pretty half successful entrepreneurs, but usually just one or two people. Some weren't. Some were struggling. And so I would get people really excited and do the favors and do the intros. And then they would be chomping at the bit to make introductions to me. And when I got there and I would quote my prices, which are a fraction of what they are now, people would go green. You know, it seemed very expensive to them. And I, and I said to myself, what am I doing wrong? And then I was accidentally at a Producers Guild event, which I was invited to by a friend to live tweet by Blaine Grayboys, who who we both No. And um, it cost $5,000 to get in, but I got in for free and I, no one knew that. So I was there and I was leaning against a table, charging my phone and a woman started to talk to me. One thing led to another. She became a client and I quoted her my fee and it was like nothing. And I said to myself, this is the problem. I'm not, I'm doing this thing, but I'm doing it with people who are at the same level as me. And I don't mean that morally or as friends. I mean, in terms of the fact that they couldn't pay $5,000 to get into an event, right? So I think one of the things that this has done for me, because we've been so selective with it, is that the water we're swimming of is a, is a very, is the kind of people who can get things done. So, so when you help someone out in this circle and provide a good experience for them and as will inevitably happen, they want to help you. The kind of help they can give is pretty top notch, you know? Yeah. No, it sounds like you've done a phenomenal job at uh, employing one of your own strategies. So congratulations on on what you've built with your secret society. Before we close out, can you just um, 
maybe talk a little bit about who your ideal client is and what you do for them now? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you about this n- new group of clients that we've been working with that has been the most exciting thing I've, I've done in years. So it's really interesting. Like most things that I've done in my life, anxiety and and um, seeing things the wrong way led to a benefit and, and something good. So um, I had this client called Pop-Up. And I bring up their name because they're a fantastic company and, and best client I've had in the last five years, you know, and forgiveness to all my other clients. I had a lot of great clients, but what made them so great is they checked all the boxes. So they were a funded tech startup. So not funded the way some people say they're funded, like they're tapping into their old legacy business to fund their new business, but the business doesn't have legs, right? They were funded by a venture capital company because they believed that much in the company and they had the fundamentals. Really good product, a whole team to help with things. The people showed up every week because what we do now is we the, the uh, our clients have to really play a very proactive role in hyping themselves up because we find that when people have skin in the game and we give them the ideas and the frameworks and 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 the blueprints and all of that and and not the blueprints but the tools when they get involved that it just gets woven into their dna they would do more work than we would ask them to do their results were through the roof they were getting all kinds of attention they would take what we built for them and multiply it and then one day after about six and they told me every week how happy they were you know and um one day after six months, they wrote me an email that said, hey, you know, we, we love you, but we're, we're finished working with you, at least for now. And I, and I was like, what? What do you mean? Finish working with me? This is my best client. They love me. I, I don't get it. Right. So I got on the line with them and they said, you know, Mike, everything we said is true. We're not finished working with you because we don't like you. We're finished because we you, you did it. You know, we made it happen. And we want one more thing from you. We want everyone in our organization and everyone attached to our organization to have um, marching orders for hyping ourselves up the way we've learned how to. So what we did is we created a hype guide, a personalized guide that codified every experiment that we did for them that worked, every hype strategy that we cracked the code to. We put it in a big fat document, you know, that that they use now and they're just growing and growing and growing and growing. So I decided, you know, there are all these companies out there. So, so it turns out that tech startups are all thinking about how can they hype themselves up? They use that word and they want to do it ethically. They want to make sure the product is good, but they get frustrated that the companies with all the hype have $300 million valuations and they have a $5 million valuation. And there's a science to hyping something up and doing it ethically as long as the product is good. And what they're doing to solve the problem is they're hiring branding firms, branding agencies to do a brand book. And they think that that's going to help with the hype. And it helps. I mean, you need a logo, you need colors, but it's not solving the problem. And they're spending a lot of money on that. So what we've decided to do is work with tech startups to do what we did for pop-up to, instead of them having to go to a branding agency, we're saying, look, we're going to spend X number of months with you, work with you to systematically figure out based on mass psychology, we know works, what hype strategies, you know, will work in your world, do small experiments to make sure they work, make them very specific for your world, get a result. And then as soon as we know what the formula is for hyping yourself up in a certain way on some aspect, codify it, document it and do that a couple of times until we have sort of the formula 
And, you know, it's kind of like what, what a brand book is, but actually for the thing that they want. So in some ways, I think it's the best work that we've ever done because the, these funded tech startups, what's so wonderful about them is that they have all the pieces in place. You know, their product is, if it's not already amazing, the fundamentals are so strong that they got someone to invest in them. They're doing really forward thinking, cool, cutting edge work. And they're hard, hard workers and open-minded. Uh, the only thing they don't always have is this systematic knowledge of how to generate a huge amount of attention and emotion. And we really like why I love doing it is I'd much rather see these great companies doing that than, quite frankly, Adam Newman from WeWork or, or the guy from Uber, who also have good products, but who are egomaniacs. And, you know, honestly, they give a bad name to hype because you can really generate that kind of emotion and attention without being unethical and without being an egomaniac. Well said. Well, thank you for explaining that. And congratulations on what you've done with your book, where things are with you and your business. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed or access any particular resources, get a copy of your book, where would be the best place for them to go? So if you do read you know, the hype handbook or go through it, that's sort of an encapsulation of a decade plus worth of this work. So it may turn out that you read the book and you never have to work with me or someone like me, right? Because I, I hope I wrote a really good book and people have seemed to think so. And it's just a good way to get a feel for what I do and my ideas. And, you know, all the information about my business is in there if you want to go further. But if you want to go directly to my business, it's microfamemedia.com. M-I-C-R-O-F-A-M-E-M-E-D-I-A.com. Uh, we just redesigned the site and I'm really happy about what we did with it. So um, yeah, all of our contact information is there and I'd be happy to talk to you, whether it's about possibly working with us or just trading some ideas. Well, Mike, I want to thank you so much for coming back on another episode of Smashing the Plateau. It's always great to hear what you're up to. My guest today has been head hype artist with Microframe Media, Michael F. Shine. Thank you, Michael, for joining us. Thank you, David. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Michael Shine, we learned one of the success secrets used by the world's greatest self-promoters. Are you building a community? Check out Circle, the all-in-one community platform for creators and brands. Bring together engaging discussions, members, live streams, chat, events, and memberships, all in one place, all under your own brand. Circle is the platform we use in the Smashing the Plateau community. I love the way Circle puts your people, discussions, and content all in one place. Get a free 14-day trial of Circle at smashingtheplateau.com slash circle. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash circle. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.